0: Hello and welcome to the raw Podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. I'm your host for this afternoon, James Copley, and I'm joined by our chief Sunderland writer, Phil Smith. Phil, how are you, mate?
1: Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I forgot we live-streamed this. I should definitely have had a shave today because I'm looking even more unkempt than usual, but we'll, we'll plough on.
0: Yeah, beards are rust today. Sunderland, of course, not in action until the 1st of October against Preston at the Stadium of Light. Uh, that's a Saturday. And then a quick turnaround, Tuesday, the 4th of October against Blackpool at the Stadium of Light. Again, Phil, how do you get through uh, an international break of um, such a long duration when Sunderland will be playing so well?
1: It's been a really strange season, hasn't it? Like when you throw in the break that we had recently mm. Um and then obviously we've got the World Cup coming up as well. It's like incredibly intense bursts and then sort of like long breaks. Um, I think in this case, I know it sounds strange when you come off the back of like two brilliant results away from home as well, especially. But I don't think it's a bad thing for Sunderland, really. Um, mm-hmm. It's a chance to get um, other sims probably the main one back fit. Um, you know, some of the players have had a pretty intense workload, Um Of late, get a chance to have a little bit of a rest it's another chance for Tony Mowbray to spend a bit more time on the training ground it's all you know as you kind of alluded to there we're all really eager to watch his team again because it was it's been such a good week and so exciting I'm not I I don't think this is necessarily the worst thing in the world
0: Absolutely um yeah, We are coming to you live on Facebook and Twitter, as Phil mentioned. If you're watching on Facebook, you can drop us a comment. If you've got a question to ask one of us, then please feel free. We'll endeavour to answer them. Phil, I want to take you back to July 31st, the Coventry game. Um, I tend to talk a lot of rubbish, as you know. If I have said to you um, that Sunderland would be fifth coming into the international break with no Alex Neil, five places in front of Watford, who were in the Premier League last season, having just drawn away from home, Advocate Road, you probably would have told me I was a little silly.
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd have been absolutely thrilled, incredibly pleasantly surprised with that. It's funny, isn't it? I was actually thinking about it this morning because I was thinking about that Coventry game. If he would said on the morning, you know, 10 games in, Alex Taylor would be managing Stoke, um, <laughs> Ross Stewart would be out for eight weeks and then someone would have no fit strikers, I'd be like, oh my God, um, it's 2017-18 <laughs> all over again. Um but like you said, if you told me after ten games, fifteen points, uh, said, so, wow, you know, you, you would have taken that all day long because for all that we sensed that this was a good group of players and that it was going to be an exciting time, you just never there was t- because it was such a young squad, so many who hadn't played at this level, and because we didn't really know what the level was like because it had been four long years, you just couldn't be sure. And I think the way they've gone about it has been fantastic, and I think that's the mm-hmm. thing as well. It's not just fifteen points, which is obviously brilliant, and that's the main thing, but it's the way they've done it as well. They've been on the front foot. They've played good attacking football. They've kept faith with the young players um, and they've shown that they can cope. And I don't think it's going to be like this all season. Um, I still think there'll be probably some difficult periods. Um, But yeah, I think it's been been as good as you could possibly hope for. I would say it's been an 8 out of 10. And if you factor in the injuries, Dan Ballard as well, don't forget that. That was a massive injury. And the fact that Alex Neal's sort of left. Midway through that process, I think you could bump up to an eight and a half, nine out of ten. I think
0: absolutely. And if you think of the amount of setbacks this Sunderland group have had, and such a young Sunderland group as well. So you had the Dan Ballard injury, Alex Neal's gone, um, Ella Sims injury, Ross Stewart injury, Sergan's injury. um, You know all the sort of bumps in the road, the you know the postponement of games and and stuff like that it's sort of testament to the the way Sunderland are recruiting at the moment in terms of getting the characters at the club right. Um, for, for me, that's, that's the most pleasing aspect. When you compare the character of the group or some of the characters in the group, I should say, in Sunderland's last season in the Championship, it's chalk and cheese.
1: Yeah, and I think that this is going to sound like a knock on the players, but it's not. And hopefully people will understand why I, I reference this. So if you'd said that you'd be going away to Watford at the start of the season, Vicarage Road, all the talent they've got, the budget, that someone's back forward would be Gooch, or 9 Bart, mm. and the Lacey at left-back, which wasn't a position if we kind of knew how comfortable he was. And with Alex Pritchard up front, you know, you would be kind of thinking, wow, that's a big test for those players. Yeah. If you look at Saturday, I, I, I thought that it didn't quite work as well as it did at Redding with Pritchard up front, to be fair, just because I think it was the kind of game away from home where you probably do need someone who you can hit with a long ball, but I thought he, you know, his work rate was tremendous. As you'd expect, Elisa was outstanding again. Um, I know 9 scored a little bit of a comedy on goal. Um, he's been I good was previous, tough...
0: previous to that, though, hasn't
1: he? And I thought that was a tough task against Keenan Davis, who's a proper top-end Championship centre half. Um, you know, and and, and and Gooch has been brilliant, hasn't he? So I think it's just, I think you're absolutely right. I think that you have to give some credit as well to the fact that. Someone do recruit versatile players. Now, we've all said, and we've we've talked so long about it, we probably don't need to go over it too much, but there have been times when men have left themselves too light in certain areas and we're seeing that up front at the moment and that is a fair yeah. criticism. But, you know, we all talked about left-back, what happens if Dennis Sern gets an injury? Well, you have to give someone credit and say they were right that Elise was good enough, wasn't he? Because he's been tremendous and yes, it took him a bit yeah. of time to settle, but fair enough, you know? Um, so I, th- I think that it is... It is a vindication to an extent because some of them do are very open. At the, you know, you create a team spirit by making everyone feel like they've got a chance of getting in the team, that they're involved. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you carry a smaller squad with some versatile players. Um, like I say, I, I do think that the squad is one or two short, which we've discussed, defensive midfield and up front being the obvious ones. Um, well, I think we have, you know, at least it's been a big tick in the box, hasn't it? I mean, the, two, the level of performance he's produced, not just defensively, you know, his goal on Saturday is absolutely no fluke. He was making that overlapping run yep. um, all the way through the game. And, um, you know, the physical um, output he put in was incredible. He actually cramped up running over to try and celebrate with and that. <laughs> I don't know if people saw this, but he was running over to try and get involved in the limbs and the scenes, and it just totally went and he had to get a little bit of treatment. But I thought that summed it up. Um, yeah, I, 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 I rate him very, very highly. It's been a really, really, really good week.
0: We've got loads to talk about and we'll perhaps come back to LAC in a second. But for me at the moment as well, Phil, the connection between the players and the fans... Seems to be extremely strong. That's always aided and abetted by results. We know that you need results and it always helps off the back of a promotion as well. But there's something really likeable about this group. The fans seem to really connect with them. They're honest, they're hardworking, they are responding to setbacks. They're giving the all for the shirt. There's just something fundamentally exciting about them. And there seems to be trust growing from the fans to the players, and the players really respond to the fans' support as well, which seems key at the moment. And Tony Mulberry, to be fair to him, since he came in, has done a, a great job of fostering that as well. And Alex Neil before him, in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I do think, yeah, interesting you mentioned that, because I I think it's something that is worth reflecting on, because obviously everyone will have their manner, uh, their opinion, sorry, on the manner of Alex Neil's departure. They always will. And there's no doubt that it is tainted, you know, mm. the, the work he did in, in a lot of people's eyes, which I totally understand. But, you know, this, if we're talking about a really positive start of the season, the players who've impressed, so much so much of it you still have to give credit to Alex Neal, don't you? Because,
0: yeah.
1: you know, he put the foundations in place with the system, with the players who've improved. Players like Gooch, you know, Gooch will tell you, Linda Gooch, that, you know, Alex Neal turned his and career around, really, from almost leaving in January. And there are a lot of examples of that. What I think Tony Mowbray has done really impressively is he hasn't come in with an ego to say, that's how Alex Neil did it. This is how I do it. He's come in and said, well, actually, there's not really a lot wrong here. Um, and I'm just, I'm not going to try and impose it. I'll just let it go because it's good. What he has then done when he's had to intervene, Stewart getting injured, Sims getting injured, he's made really good tweaks to it. Um, and I thought the one thing I would say, it's hypothetical. You never know the answer to this question, but would Neil have put those five? Mm. Young, inexperienced players on against a team like Watford, pretty much all at once. I'm not 100% sure, but Mowbray did and it transformed the game. And that was such an exciting 20 minutes of play. You know, we've never seen Abdullah Bar. He's coming on, he's using both his feet, he's taking <laughs> players on, he's winning headers. And you're just thinking, you know, it's.
0: yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, Listen, we, we can get carried away here, aren't we? Because we're on the back of two results. And if we've yeah. been doing, you know, after the Middlesbrough game, we might be saying oh, looks a very young squad and no striker, and so you've got to be cautious of not letting getting carried away. But um, you know, Bar and Bennett obviously gets the headlines. But, I mean, a Mad Diallo, what a cameo yeah. that was!
0: But pe- people forget how how expensive he was for Manchester United to buy. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's a player with some serious, serious, serious pedigree.
1: I, I think we forget about that, don't we? Because obviously, because they all came in at a, a similar time because they're a similar age. We probably put them all in the same category, don't we? Whereas, yeah, yeah. although um, it's to be fair, he's still not played much senior football at all. I'm a DL, but you're right in what you say. You burst through at Atlanta, who were one of the most exciting teams in Europe um, mm. at the time, and then obviously commanded a huge face. So you're right. I think there's a level of pedigree that's that's different. Uh, but I thought, you know, one minute you're looking up and he's making a good run in behind. The next minute you look up and he's drifted out wide and picked up a really good pocket of space. And yeah, exciting. I'm excited to see him. I think uh, you know sort of moving forward more I have no idea what position he plays because the no. appearances we've seen him he's just drifted about and I don't mean yeah, that in yeah. a negative way at all he's just sort of seems like a bit of a free spirit but in, in an intelligent way and I honestly don't know is he a striker is he a 10 is he a winger I I, I, I genuinely don't know
0: he, see, he seems to make runs that I haven't really seen many players this season in the championship and definitely not in league one make he seems to be sort of picking up pockets of space that I yeah. know he comes on when the game stretched as well which does help Interesting you mentioned those young players maybe not coming on under Alex Neal. There was friction at the club with Alex Neal. He wanted uh, possibly a different direction. That's evident. That's why he's got the Stoke. Um, And it feels like in Tony Mowbray, Sunderland have got a really good coach with a really good record. He seems like a really nice man as well. I'm sure we'll touch on that as well. But he seems to be more... Bought into where Sunderland are going with this recruitment model and how long it might take four or five years. Alex Neal, to my mind, seemed very much, well, this is Sunderland I can get them, you know, compete now, long term. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tony Mowbray seems more of the school of thought, well, well, I can nurture this group into something special.
1: Yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think to be fair, to Alex as well. I think you mentioned that sort of friction. I think one of the things he did really well was he almost created quite a healthy friction. In a way, mm. you know, it, it, press conferences were a great example of that. You, you yeah. really did cultivate that sense of, you know, it's me and my group against the world kind of thing. And and it was hugely successful. And like I say, getting buy in and um, motivating players who had a really difficult season at times up until that point. So I'd certainly be loath to criticize. And like you say, I think a lot of it stemmed from the fact that Alex probably felt there was an opportunity to make a real dent yeah. this season. And um, if things don't. It's like differently. It's quite hard to be particularly critical of that, isn't it? Someone because well, the, that, ambition is that, a good thing. That exactly that ruthless ambition and that desperation to win on Saturday is what hauled Sunderland out of League One. Yeah, 100%. when it looked like it was going to be another failure, wasn't it? So you it, you then you feel like a hypocrite if three months later you turn around and go, well, you know, <laughs> yeah. all of a, it's a bad thing. All of a sudden, what I, what you're absolutely right is that I think that Tony Mowbray he's not just content with what he's been asked to do it's actually what he wants to do at this stage of his mm. career and he, and he's already spoken about you know other jobs he's been in whereby you know he was sort of being expected to win every week um and he felt that meant that he couldn't do what he really wanted to do which was to develop young players um and i think he is genuinely really excited about you know what we've just been talking about what what's a Mad DLO's position like yeah. where, where where are we going to get the best out of him i think there's a genuine enthusiasm for that sort of side of the project um but i think yeah, I, I, do think, I do think there are definitely going to be ups and downs because um, I think one of the interesting things at the moment as well is like and this, I guess, moves it forward a bit is that in the early stages of the season, something I've sensed a lot and Watford was another great example, is other teams have an expectation, a pressure um, to win games to be right up at the top of the table. You know, you look at Watford, as soon as someone started pushing in the last stages of that game, you'd feel the tension in Vicarage Road Mm. Um, Stoke when Sunderland won there was another classic example Stoke dominated the game Sunderland knit a goal at half time and the atmosphere in the ground turned like that you're summoned at the moment pressure's off, it's fearless it's fun, yeah. no expectations not only is that going to change internally because all of a sudden you're fifth in the table, other teams' perception of you is going to totally change and they're going to start paying you far more respect and they're not going to turn up thinking that it's three points because you're a team who were in League One last season It's going to completely transform the atmosphere around the games, and that's going to present a totally different challenge to Sunderland. Um, And it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle
0: that. It's interesting as well, isn't it? Because you know, we've seen in the Championship, well, all over football really, teams can get worked out. I feel like there's a lot of variety in Sunderland's play, and hopefully, when they get a couple of strikers back and maybe a few reinforcements in in January, I can't see them becoming, you know, quite plodding and easy to work out, but. There's, it's it's common sense, isn't it? There's more data available on Sunderland this season because there's been more games played. There's more things for teams to look at. Um, so it could be, and it's likely that at some point, Sunderland are going to lose a couple of games on the bounce and we'll probably have to prepare ourselves for that.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And What you say is right, and that what is good about a Sunderland squad when everyone's fit is they have got the option to mix it up. You can be incredibly direct to Stewart yeah. and Sims or you can go through Pritchard, Roberts. So that's definitely good. But you're right in what you're saying that I think if also if you look at the championship at the moment, there's five points between six yeah. and twenty-second. Yeah. And actually I d I don't think that's a coincidence. You know, I, I did a piece today in terms of like the stats in Sunland and stuff and where they relate to the rest of the division. And Sunland are a good championship team, but there are about thirteen good championship teams <laughs> below the very best. Yeah. So that that just tells you, doesn't it, that you could go on a, a little run where you win three in a row. You could easily go on a little run where you get a couple of injuries, you don't play particularly badly, but you lose three on the bounce or you lose three out of five or whatever. And all of a sudden you go from fifth to 12, but you're still only a few points. So I definitely think that, you know, we're going to have these really exciting little periods in the season and we might have some quite deflating little periods in the season. Um, But, you know, I, I think it's worth going back to what you said about sort of the more of that Coventry game. Um, it feels, you know... It, it, it's been, it's been an excellent start of the season. Quite chaotic, um, yeah, yeah. with some slightly harrowing days in there as well. <laughs> um, but you, you can't you can't argue with it, can you?
0: No, and that's the thing as well, is that you could look at it and you can say, maybe we need to sort of temper expectations a little bit. But for all Sunderland have been through since dropping out of the Premier League, who can blame you know fans journalists pundits everybody involved at the club for just enjoying this little run and, and getting excited and lots to get excited about as well with Barr and and Bennett as um as you mentioned and just we'll, we'll take a, a quick look through all of Sunderland's fixtures uh so far Phil the Coventry game I thought you know Coventry came on strong late um but you know on another day Sunderland could have could have got the win the Bristol City win was was good um, we'll discount the Sheffield Wednesday Cup game. The QPR game, arguably should have won that. Um, Two lapses in concentration. Sheffield United game, Dan Neal, obviously getting sent off didn't help, but Sunderland performed admirably. Stoke performance was good. The Norwich game, lost the manager before, but still played excellently, hit the bar. Rotherham performance, fantastic. Middlesbrough game, lost Stewart um, before the game. Um, Interesting the perception of that one, actually, because a lot of Sunderland fans... Rightly point out that Sunderland weren't at it, but having spoken to a couple of neutrals, my dad, who watches all of the games on Sky, he's a Cardiff fan, but doesn't watch Sunderland regularly. He actually thought Sunderland played well. Um, so maybe that's indicative of how our uh, sort of expectations around this team have, have maybe changed. The Redden game, a brilliant performance, and, and Watford, you know, another performance. So even in defeat and even in the, the sort of bumps in the road, there's been positives, and Sunderland haven't yet been rolled over this season, which is. Hugely impressive for a young team, and builds that spirit as well, Phil.
1: Yeah, I think I don't think they've lost by more than one goal, goal have they in any game this season, which is a tremendous statistic, really. Um, And when you factor in, you know, playing Sheffield United with ten men for however long that was, well, and and
0: being and being two nil down in that game as well. Yeah,
1: yeah, quite quickly. Uh, Yeah, that could have gone wrong seriously. Yeah. Yeah, and that and that's absolutely right. It's that resilience that you mentioned and. And as I said, I think there'll be times when it goes the other way, when you play well and, and you don't get your rewards for it. I just think that's how tight the championship is this season. But what we've seen from 10 games is that Sunderland, providing they don't dip off dramatically, they're not one of the worst teams in this division, not by a long shot. And it's easy in hindsight now to say, well, they shouldn't be. But we didn't know at the start of the season. We just didn't know. So I think it's been, yeah, I think I think it's been hugely encouraging. I think one thing we have seen across the 10 games as well is that the game's... I know they've had two big wins against Rotherham and Reading, but against most teams in this league, the game's never truly won, is it? No. Because no. you can look at QPR and you can say, well, it's a free kick and it's a goalkeeper header. And nine times out of 10, that probably doesn't happen, which is true. But I also think back to that game, a position in which some of dominant. And if it was a League One game, it's game over. QPR brought, t- yeah. QPR brought Tyler Roberts on at halftime,
0: you know, chairman down the, the left
1: wing. Yeah, and I thought it was a different game after that. No, someone probably didn't deserve to draw, but Kewiard just were a different animal. Obviously, I wasn't at the Norwich game, but that's another example of where someone's are dominant for a large period of time, and some mm-hmm. proven players come off the bench, and it just changes the dynamic. Um, Saturday was probably the first time we've seen someone do that to somebody else, where they've turned the tide of the game,
0: Yeah, um,
1: yeah. because Wofford were totally dominant for the first 25 minutes of the second half, totally dominant. And that was probably the first time since Sunderland used their bench to actually change the momentum. And like I say, huge credit to Mowbray because some managers would turn around and said, "Well, it's a bunch of kids who've never played in the championship against you know Premier League players from last season. I, I, I don't risk it." And mm-hmm. it was to his credit because the energy made all the difference. But I do think that is something as well that it's not a total coincidence sometimes that that happens where you don't get your rewards. Um, mm-hmm. Often it is about depth and it's about quality off the bench. And I suspect we'll have a few more of those this season, to be perfectly honest. Um, So, yeah, I suppose what I'm getting at, at this stage, do I see Sunderland as fifth in the championship, as in the fifth best team? Do I expect them to be there at the end of the year? I'm still not totally convinced. Um, I think they'll probably dip a little bit from that, from what I've seen so far. Obviously, injuries in January are the two key big factors, aren't they? But um, at the moment, I see them as an upper mid-table side, from what I've watched so far, and taking everything into account. And I think that's that's pretty positive. Um, it's a really good place to be.
0: Here's a stat for you, Phil, via the uh, Twitter account, playmaker underscore en. Uh, most open play goals this season in the top four tiers, 12th, um, oh sorry, Sheffield United, Wickham and Bradford have 12, Plymouth have 13, uh, Burnley and Ipswich have 14, Manchester City, that little old team in the Premier League with Erling Haaland up front, have 15, and Sunderland are just a smidgen ahead of them in 16 obviously that culminated with the goal Jack Clark scored have you ever seen a better Sunderland goal in terms of from the back I haven't really that I can remember no in a, terms of in terms of quality no not a table I know not I think did Hume one, but... score one last season in League One or the season before maybe um the one that springs to mind that wasn't a goal was the Barini against Manchester United where he hit the bar which probably would have been All the right. best goal, the best goal ever scored ever but yeah that was that was just fantastic
1: the the Hume one, that was that was sort of the very brief um All phase, wasn't it? Where ah, Jordan Willis right. yeah, was yeah. playing as an overlapping centre <laughs> back. That wasn't that was a bizarrely good goal for a number of reasons. But yeah. Um no, I think that's the best team goal that I can remember for sure. Um, that's a weird stat, though, isn't it? I don't know whether to praise and or should we be slating their set pieces. I'm, yeah. I'm a bit. I'm, I don't really know where I stand on that. Like it's, you,
0: um, you'll take you'll take 16 open goals though, uh, open play goals. Yeah, I know that's
1: what I mean. But <laughs> should, should should we be scoring from corners and be top and be like yeah. going but up? I don't, I, I don't that's know. Yeah. The, that's the
0: thing with Stewart and Sims out of the of the side. We've got, hardly got any height, have we? So it's difficult to score from a from a corner at the moment.
1: And both ends of the pitch that's an issue isn't it? Um yeah, yeah and you know we saw that um we saw that at the weekend didn't we Watford's goal you know eventually came from a set piece um that's definitely it's definitely a big factor if you think back over the last eighteen months the amount of headers Ross Stewart's knocked mm-hmm. out of his own box. Um, Absolutely yeah that's one of many reasons why a break and hopefully get some some big lads uh fit and firing and hopefully be a big a positive. F-
0: a few topics um before we go We'll touch on Willis, actually, since you mentioned him. He's spotted at the Academy of Light in a recent training video. We understand that he's sort of continuing his rehab at the club. He was a very good player when he was fit, Phil. Could you see something maybe happening there, possibly?
1: I don't know. It's incredibly difficult because, um, you know, the the severity of the injury is such Mm. that you just don't know what level Jordan's going to be at. So I, I, I wouldn't like sort of, make a um, judgment either way on that what I, what I would say is by all accounts he is, he is doing really well um, and is probably not a million miles away from being you know fit Um, I don't mean like next week um, but I mean you yeah. know, sort of moving forward over the next few months he should you know I think there is a hope that he can get back to playing football Um, if he's anywhere near his level then there will 100% be a League One team in a bit of trouble or up the top and just wanting a bit more cover, he'll think, you know, we a 100% take a chance on this guy because it's easy to forget, you know, he was probably, up until maybe the arrival of Danny Bart, he was probably Sunderland's best centre-half of the League One yeah, era, I think, 100%, all round. definitely,
0: definitely.
1: Um, certainly He went one of fifth, the best certainly. Yeah, certainly one of the best sign-ins they've made as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely, I, I, I'd be surprised if it was at Sunderland, but I, I, I do think... And I sincerely hope Touchwood and everything, because he deserves it. Lovely lad as well, really, as yeah. people will remember from from you know, when he was in the team. A really, really humble and hardworking guy. So I so hope he gets his chance. Um, and yeah, if I was if I was a League One team, I'd I'd one hundred percent be monitoring that situation because you could potentially get a real bargain. Like I say, you you just never one hundred percent sure are you after injuries of this nature.
0: I think it's really pleasing for me that Sunderland continue to look after Jordan Willis. I'm not sure if that would have would have happened maybe in the past under previous owners and various sporting directors in the Premier League and whatnot. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but you know it's easy to forget that Jordan Willis probably played a bit too much football with his dodgy knees on some pretty bad pitches at the time, and that probably contributed. So I think it's nice to to see that the club are standing by him. Phil in a sort of alternate Universal and get to January which isn't really that far away and they are still sort of in and around their competing mixing. Could you see a bit of backing for Mulberry in January? Uh, yeah, definitely.
1: Um, <clears throat> I don't think they would move away from well, they 100% wouldn't move away from the model so they yeah. wouldn't go and suddenly spend £6 million on a 31-year-old proven striker. Not a chance. Would it maybe slightly change what they were targeting in terms of a loan deal, maybe? Possibly. Um, it's a fine line, isn't it? Because, you know, you have to have your long-term plan and that's absolutely right, but you also need to be able to recognise that it's not easy to get out of any division and, you know, if, yeah. if opportunities are there, you've got to try and take it. So I could definitely see them offering some backing, yeah, if, if they're up there and sort of in and around it. Um, but I wouldn't expect them to massively deviate. Um, you know that's why Tony Moore is at the club and Alex Nail isn't. Um, you know, and we have to. So it's true, though, isn't it? And yeah, we have no, to absolutely, sort of accept, absolutely. We have to sort of accept that that's that's why. You know, that's how the clubs operate, and so yeah, I definitely think I definitely think they will. Um, you know, even if you just consider that they were incredibly close to signing Nathan Broadhead on a permanent deal, so there's a significant, really, portion of your budget. That they haven't used yet because they didn't feel the right alternative was there was at that point. But plus, it Marbury, follows that
0: Marbury did mention that they were pushing for a couple towards the end of of deadline days. Exactly. Well, so
1: exactly. So there's already one or two places where the money was there if the right yeah. player was available, um, and there's clearly a need. So I definitely think there will be, but I would I wouldn't expect I wouldn't yeah I wouldn't expect suddenly to to see see them completely deviate.
0: Again, I, I'm I'm a big fan. I know it's left the. To the squad short in a few areas and I'd probably be saying a completely different thing if Sunderland were bottom but I do like the fact that we're not signing players just to fill squad places and for the sake of it because that's something that plagued Sunderland in the Premier League era and and in League One in the Championship uh, just finally Phil the international break probably coming at a, a well not a decent time for fans but a decent time for Sunderland's squad because it allows the likes of Dennis Serkin maybe to get back certainly Ellis Sims what's Mowbray said about injuries recently
1: yeah I think Serkin I think should definitely be back available Um, it's going to be really interesting for the Preston game because I mean DMA and and Adjie Elise if he's not in that mm-hmm. starting 11 against Preston can you get both in the team uh, maybe there is a way Um, so that's going to be really interesting one to watch Ellis Sims the expectation is it will be back but I don't think you can't be absolutely hundred percent because obviously he went for a scan and by all accounts it was a bit inconclusive. So yep. he sort of feels okay. There's nothing to suggest on the scan that there is an issue, but until he's had it, basically until they've had him running with his boots on for a fairly long period on the training ground, I'm not hundred percent sure. So I would say he's highly likely to be involved against Preston. He was cert- he was there on Saturday, he was moving fine. Um, you know, no protection on his foot or anything like that. So I expect him to be involved, but I'm not hundred percent. And then we should also see um, Edouard Michoud come into the,
0: yeah.
1: um, maybe not into the match day squad, but I think if the other side did national, he should be in a position where, you know, he, he's ready to be considered. Um, So he's another one who could come into the fold, you know, with a October where there's a lot of games, I definitely expect to see him at some point. So yeah, it's, it's exciting times when you consider that, you know, Tony Mowbray made a point of bringing up Jamie Matete in his post-match press conference in terms of how well he'd done coming on. Yeah. Maybe a player he didn't know a huge amount or hadn't seen a lot of, you know, he wasn't prompted. He said, I have to mention how good Jamie Matete was coming on. So there's someone who's through the hard work and their performances brought themselves very much back into the fold when you bring in another centre midfielder in the equation. Um, it's like, it feels like we've got a lot more options now and that's credit to Tony Mowbray because he's trusted the players in them. the first place when we didn't know whether they were, you know what they were going to be like. Mm. And he's shown himself that he's got those options. So it's good for him, but he's made that, if that makes sense. So yep. he deserves a lot of credit for that.
0: No, he does. And finally, finally, I promise this will be the last point, but just on Mowbray again, he seems to have sort of captured hearts on Sunderland a little bit. I know it's all, it always helps when the team's doing well, but you know... From singing out in John and Road to you know saying that he just puts Bennett on the pitch and the he doesn't speak English so he just tells him to run up and down the line but he's quite prepared to do that. He just seems like a, a thoroughly good bloke, Phil.
1: He, he he is. He's genuinely, genuinely a very nice man, and I think that because of the way the games developed in the last few years, obviously clubs are trying to play more younger players. They're trying to sign younger players for sort of financial long-term sustainability reasons so it's become sort of trendy for all the coaches and managers to talk about how much they love working with young players and how much they care about developing young players some of them don't mean it because their words tell you one thing and their eyes tell you something completely different Um, and I've definitely experienced that Tony Mulbray is not in that category Um, he's incredibly genuine about it and he's been doing it for a long period of time and he is someone that you just want to do well, do you know. You write Moisey is very genuine, and he is someone that you can't help but root for. As you say, the reason he's so popular at the moment is because he's had a good set of results in State in and charge. And the one game, <laughs> yeah, the one yeah. game he lost, there were mitigating circumstances for weren't There was Stuart getting injured so close to the game, so you know that's why. There might have been a very different reaction to him singing Elton oh, John at Vicarage Road, you know. <laughs> lost, you know, if he if he lost three games going into yeah. it, um, yeah, absolutely. But there's definitely so, there's definitely something in, in in what you say. He's someone that people will naturally root for because he's genuine, um, and and that's and that's I,
0: not no. That... Go, God, sorry, Phil.
1: No, I was just going to say. I imagine it's the same for the players, um, yeah. and that can you know that can that can carry you.
0: And that praise of Mowbray's personality isn't necessarily well, isn't at all a detraction of Alex Neil's personality, who because I wasn't necessarily asking the questions of Alex Neal. I thoroughly enjoyed sitting in on his press conferences too. And he was also extremely engaging, but just in a, a very different way.
1: Yeah, and, and the players loved Alex Neal as well. So that I guess that's the key thing, isn't it? Um, but Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, even I, who was very much on the receiving end of Alex Neal's uh, slightly <laughs> acerbic wit um, on multiple <laughs> occasions. I was a bit, um, maybe... A, um, a bit taken aback at first, but once I got used to it, I very much enjoyed it. And you're right, he was very engaged, you know, in tactical detail and a really interesting sort of person to speak to. So um yeah, listen, I it's been so far, it has been a seamless transition, even though they're mm. two very, very different personalities. Um and listen, you have to give credit to the hierarchy for that, don't they? Because so yeah, far yeah, yeah. they've managed that process well. Um you look at October, there's a lot of games. You know, Stuart's still going to be injured, isn't he? Um, it's going to be a totally different test. Um, if someone's still in fifth at the end of that month, then that that's some achievement. So, yeah, I'm, I'm still bracing for a few bumps in the road, but uh, so far, so
0: good. Uh, there'll always be bumps in the road. This is uh, Sunderland. Right, we'll end the podcast there, Phil. I'm off to Google what acerbic wit means, like everybody else listening to this, but you can head over to the Echo website. We'll try and keep you entertained during the international break with all of the latest Sunderland AFC news and content. And once again, thank you for listening to The Raw Podcast.